It's your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day. Happy to bring you another excellent show. Lavelle E. Neal, the third Star Tribune columnist, will join me here in just a few minutes to talk twins. Got some Max Kepler thoughts out of Lavelle. Wasn't hard to do that. He's been itching to get those on paper and now on this podcast. I'm not a big fan of Max Kepler's career arc thinks the Twins should be done with Max. Another um, offer in the loss Tuesday night to Tampa Bay. And um, we'll see if the beginning of the end is here for Max. Maybe the uh, Byron Buxton injury, which I'll get to later as well, will forestall that a little bit. But if he doesn't hit soon, it's got to be it's got to be the end for Max, especially with no contract next season. Um, Lavelle and I will also talk about the NBA Finals and the bizarre, shocking, uh, surprising merger between the uh, PGA Tour and the Saudi-backed uh, Live Tour. Um, nobody saw that coming, least of all PGA Tour players who have been vehemently opposed to this uh, competing tour. I, I don't know how this is going to work. Lavelle and I will get into it. Patrick Royce has a column about it up on StarTribune.com. Doesn't mean there's going to be harmony, especially not right away. Um, Money talks, though. We'll see what the details are eventually, and I'm sure it will all come back to the bottom line. But does not look like uh, that's not a good look for the PGA Tour after all they've gone through, after all they've said about the Live Golf Tour. But uh, more to come on that. Uh, We'll end the show on a positive note, too, with a team in this market that is absolutely dominating its opponents. First, though, what did I miss? A couple of trouble spots. I was just just doing some reading and some listening over the last couple days. I kind of file things away as I'm kind of doing my show prep, kind of doing my kind of what what do we want to talk about? What's going on right now? What are other people saying about the teams in this market? And it was passed along to me. I don't Listen to this all the time, but uh, the Simmons podcast, the Ringer podcast with Ryan Rosillo, I saw um, they did a ranking of kind of the 12 worst jobs in the NBA if you're going to be a GM. Say you're taking over as GM right now of a team in the in the NBA, and they did this last year as well. They ran down who their who their 12 were last year, their bottom 12, the 12 worst jobs that they would consider the worst jobs in the NBA. Timberwolves were not on the list last season. Did this they did this ranking right around the same time this year, so you know kind of early June, you're kind of in the middle of the playoffs, you get some teams bounced already obviously, you know, right now we're in the finals. Um but they hadn't made the Rudy Gobert trade yet. They hadn't kind of, you know, they were coming off a really competitive first round series against Memphis where it looked like, you know, all they needed to do was gain a little bit more maturity, gain a little bit more late game experience, and they could be well on their way to being a team that, you know, could contend, could at least, you know, be a threat in the playoffs. Then the Rudy Gobert trade happened, the Carl Anthony Towns injury happened, and they're staring at a lot of big contracts, not necessarily next year, but 24-25 season, the 2024-25 season. So a year from now, things get dicey. So Simmons and Rusilla do this draft. They they take turns kind of picking what team they would say is the worst situation. I think Charlotte got picked right away. Um, it might have been the Bulls, too. Number three, though, uh, Rusilla picks the Timberwolves. And I'm thinking, oh, man, that's that's rough, you know, and they both talk about how much they love 
Anthony Edwards and how they got to build around Ant, but a lot of it comes down to no pick this year because of the Gobert trade. They gave up so much in that deal. Obviously, we've been through that ad nauseum. We don't need to relitigate that trade, but it does leave them in a vulnerable position whereby no pick this year, a bunch of picks missing in the future, and a lot of payroll in into the future. You're talking about this year being okay still. They can still kind of build a roster, get some complimentary pieces around Towns if they keep him. That's another question for another day. Probably get into that on Thursday's show with Bobby Marks from ESPN, who's expected to join me for Thursday's show to break down all things Wolves and NBA. But, you know, Towns' contract boosts up to $50 million in a couple of years. Anthony Edwards is going to be contract extension eligible. That will kick in. Um, that's going to be a max deal, by the way. Jade McDaniel should get a new deal. Gobert's making over $40 million. Like You're going to have a lot of payroll tied up in just a few guys. And guys that have been, you know, the core of teams that have been, you know, that were okay this year, that hasn't, haven't even won a playoff series yet, though. And so I get why that might be a job that you'd look at and say, oh, that's a, that's a tough spot to be, even if this is a team that's made the playoffs the last two years and figures to have a good chance of making the playoffs again next year. That's not That shouldn't be the ceiling. Their ceiling should be higher, and you start to worry about what is the ceiling and what is yet to come. Um, so just a little bit of a warning sign there that that's how this, this job, this team is being viewed, at least outside of this market right now. Subject to change, of course, because Sacramento was number one on their worst jobs list last year. They had a great season there. They're, they're nowhere near um, you know, worst right now uh, and by any stretch of the imagination. So a lot can change, a lot, a lot of redemption possible, but that caught my eye. The other thing that caught my eye, you know, if that was opinion, this is, this is a lot of fact. Bill Barnwell, ESPN, writing about can the Vikings and Giants sustain their success in 2023? Both those teams had first-year head coaches, made the playoffs. Vikings under Kevin O'Connell went 13-4. and Those teams actually, of course, met in the playoffs with the Giants scoring the upset at U.S. Bank Stadium. Um, but Barnwell kind of goes through a list of you know, first-year coaches who have had success right away, what happened to them afterwards, and it's a real mixed bag. I mean, there's obviously some very good coaches who have sustained that success, um, you know, chief among them, Sean McVay, and that's where that's where Kevin O'Connell came from. McVay had success right away with the Rams, ended up going to a Super Bowl and then winning the Super Bowl a few years later. Matt LaFleur, a good example. Guy comes in, wins 13 games right away, then wins 13 the next year, 13 the year after that, falls off next, you know, in the in that last year, um, 2022, and they trade Aaron Rodgers, so we'll see where they're at. But LaFleur able to sustain success. So it's not like it can't be done, but there's a lot of Guys on that list, you're like, ugh, hope it doesn't happen here. More to the point, though, is reasons for regression and some, some red flags that Barnwell identified. These aren't new. We know these things, but just kind of seeing them spelled out in a particular one one way that he, uh, he spelled it out, relying on fourth quarter wins. The Vikings had a win probability added of 6.1 in the fourth quarter and overtime of their games last season. Barnwell writing, that was four full wins better than anybody else in 2022. And he said, going back to 2009, no team had previously generated five win probability added in the fourth quarter in a single season. The Vikings were at six. 
So that is um, that's amazing. Like they, they, some of that is probably confidence, belief in the fourth quarter, good execution in the fourth quarter. But you can't es- expect to sustain that in the fourth quarter of this season. Red flag number two relying on wins and close games, and that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with those fourth quarters. The Vikings, of course, 11-0 in games decided by eight points or less in the 2022 regular season before, of course, they lost to the Giants in the playoffs by seven. Barnwell stat, going back to 1950, looking at the NFL teams that played at least five games, decided by eight points or fewer, and went undefeated in those games, did not carry over to the next year after going a combined 1-10-0 and zero, in those games, the teams went a combined 73-68-4, and four, basically 500 the following season. So if you put the Vikings at 11-0 and 0 in one-score games last year, let's put them at 6-5 and five this year. That's five fewer wins. That's an 8-9 and nine team. So some some things to watch for. I think we knew all these things, but some, some good stats from Barnwell, some good things to think about. Doesn't mean that this is going to be a bad season. Doesn't mean they can't improve in other areas to make up for those. I think namely defense would be one of those things and maybe even a better offense this year. Um, you know, the offense was good last year, but but I think there's room for improvement there too. So maybe that will take into account, you know, some improvement internally. They won't have so many close games. They'll be a better team, even if maybe their record isn't as good. We will see. But those are some ominous signs coming from external sources about the Timberwolves and Vikings. We'll see how that all plays out. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Really glad to be joined right now by Lavelle E. Neal, the third Star Tribune sports columnist. Um, Lavelle, this is not pick on Max Kepler week. You were just explaining to me before <laughs> we started recording that your Kepler column that ran in Tuesday's paper and on StarTribune.com, you kind of had the idea to write that several days ago, but didn't weren't able to get to that until this week because of some vacation that you forgot about and <laughs> in the meantime exactly right. a lot, in the meantime a lot of the other rest of us have been kind of picking up the slack and he's gotten worse and matt walner is hitting everything at triple a and trevor larnix ready um but i wanted to talk to you about um kepler in particular just because you covered him for so many years you you know you remember him from a decade ago when he was a prospect, I'm sure. And even, you know, even you remember some of his high school stories a little bit when he was before he was here for sure. He's drafted when he was 16, but you know, before we get to kind of why this should be the end, like what, what do you think never quite clicked? Why didn't he aside from 2019 when everybody was hitting home runs, why didn't he ever kind of get over that hump from, you know, average player, good fielder, um, to something more that that maybe his profile suggested he should be. I think the one thing that has baffled the Twins with, with Max is that you know after that 2019 season, he didn't he didn't take another step forward. And um, you know people go about their business differently, but there was some concern about the fire that Kepler was going about trying to be a good player and what he took to the field. And as he had the last couple of years, last year especially. They just start seeing bad contact. Him not scoring the balls. 
pop-ups and ground balls and, you know, a few line drives, but not as many as you would think from a guy who was, it looked like he was figuring things out uh, in, in 2019. So um, he just never seemed to, uh, to get back on track, you know, and to, and he's had a lot of chances. He's been a stalwart in right field. You know, yeah. he may go down as one of the better right fielders in twins history uh, playing that corner very well. Um, uh, he, he does that thing. He does that exceptionally. Um, he's filled in at center for Buxton at times, although I don't know if that's his uh, preferred spot, but um, right. you know, he, when he had to, he had to, um, he tried, he tried to learn how to hit the ball to the opposite field that hadn't worked out. We thought the shift was taking away hits from him. We right. found that it was not the shift. And then when I looked up and saw that he's been hitting like 150 against fastballs the last couple of years, I'm like, okay, something's wrong here. Yeah. You know, there's some adjustment that has not been made. Uh, maybe a different approach by the pitchers, but nothing's clicking here. And the Twins can't afford the bad guy cleanup with a 660 OPS. I just, you know, I know Rocco was limited. He had guys injured. Kirilov was sick, you know, that Sunday game um, against Cleveland, a, a game that may end up being pivotal going down the stretch here because it would have allowed the Twins to win three out of the four games. Instead, right. it's a 2-2 split. And, you know, Kepler's in that situation. He's clobbered Cleveland before. I know Trevor Bauer's not on the roster anymore for him to terrorize, but uh, he's done well against that team through the past, and it was just blah, you know. And I heard the booze after you grounded out in the seventh, and I heard the oh, struck out in the seventh, and I heard the booze when he grounded out in the ninth, you know. Um, people have watched this long enough, and we've seen we, – we're not seeing any change. And when you have guys knocking on the door – in their mid twenties, like Walner and Larnick, yeah. Um, Walner had reached base in eight consecutive plate appearances before he got sent down, um, and then he, all he's done is gone to St. Paul instead of sulking. He has probably pretended that the, the baseball is Rocco's face and has continued <laughs> to pull pummel baseballs all over the international league. And he he deserves a return, and Larnick deserves a shot. So um, they've got options here to give give a, give a shot to. I don't know if they can afford to carry Kepler as a reserve, as a backup guy. Um, since this is the last year of his contract, uh, you can go ahead and eat the $4 million or whatever, $4.5 million it would take. Uh, he would probably earn the rest of the season. You've had to just release him and DFA him. Um, the Yankees cut bait with Aaron Hicks. You yeah. know, and Hicks now had joined the, the Orioles. Is this is this something that the Twins are going to have to face with, with, with Max? Um, Trade-wise, I don't know how much value he would have. You know he's a he's a good defensive player, but how how much does that fetch on the trade market? Um, you probably just be getting some a ball guy uh, just to get a forty man spot cleared to for the return of someone from an injured list or whatever. So I I don't know. It's just um, and, and I want to be mad at the guy. I know uh, he's had a, he, there were times we had flashes of uh, being a really really good player, great teammate. Um, great story with him and Polanco. They're part of that 09 international class with Miguel Sano. Sano, yeah. They Bill, shout, shout out Bill Smith. Yeah, that was like a big sweep for Billy there, signing those guys. And, I, you know, if you look back on it, you do the same thing today. Those three types of players were available. You sign them again. You know, uh, and Kepler and Polanco are close friends, you know. And um, they both signed extensions on the same day. I remember yeah. a day in spring training vividly. We went over to the minor league facility because they had the big auditorium. Uh, Jorge Polanco's dad was walking around the complex with his wide, eyes bulging wide open about, you know, at this modern facility, you know. Um, it was a good story. You know, Polanco talking about how homesick he was the first couple of years as a pro, how he had to get over it, and Max helping him and everything. It was a cool story with those two. 
Um, one player ended up being a pretty reliable. The other one had one one year that looks like an outlier. Yeah, it does. I and mean, if you, we can see it even in the some of the advanced stats, just looking at fan graphs right now. I mean, his hard hit percentage kind of builds to a peak. You know, it starts out around 33% in 2016, 2017, 2018 goes to 37%. 2019, when he hits all those home runs, goes over 30. It's 42.4%. Last season, all the way down to 29.8%. And this year, 31.6%. That's the amount of, that's the number of times when he's, when he hits a ball that it's hard contact. And that's some of what you were talking about just now, that a lot of the contact that he's been making lately is just not that quality contact you want to see from, from, from somebody, especially somebody in his prime. He's 30 years old. I mean, we, you know, he's been with the team long enough. He's not young. This is ostensibly, you know, prime or at least late prime for a player. These should be, these should be his best years, 2021 and 22 and 23 probably should have been his best years, his age 27 through 30 seasons. And it just didn't happen. No, no, it hasn't. I mean, you could you could watch Kepler and tell. You can listen to Kepler and tell because of the way the ball comes off the bat with him. Um, so I I think the Twins are baffled at why uh, he hasn't been able to figure this out uh, and take another step or just regain some of that 2019 form. I mean, right now it wouldn't take much for, for uh, Kepler to contribute. You know, just a couple of hits here and there could change the scope of the season. The Twins have lost 11 run one run games already. Yes, 11. You know, and they're future with the bases loaded, which I'm yes. sure Kepler's had a few opportunities. If he just touches the ball a couple of times, maybe we're, we're saying, let's see if he can turn it around. Let's ride it out. But it's not working. And at, we're through two months of the season, Mike. And the first two months, you see what you got. The next two months of the season, you make adjustments. The last two months, you drive for the playoffs. We're in a period of the season where you start making adjustments based on what you've seen the first two months of the season. And it's time to make an adjustment with Kepler. I agree. And it's been, you know, there was the game, I think it was early last, early this week or late last week. I think it was uh, where Kepler, Buxton and Correa all left the game early with varying degrees of injuries. Uh, Kepler had a migraine. I think Buxton got hit by the pitch. Correa had the the flare up of the plantar fasciitis. That's another story. all, All three of those guys have struggled to a degree this year. I mean, if you're talking about, you know, kind of the disappointment of the offense, like the guys that you would expect to be contributing just haven't contributed, at least not consistently. I know Buxton's had some stretches, but he's also had some stretches where he's just been in the tank and Correa, um, he's not been the player they thought he would be. And that, that plantar fasciitis is, is a, is troubling. Cause that's not something that just goes away. Those two guys have to get it going. It's unacceptable when they are supposed to be the two superstars in this lineup and they've been horrible. Um, I was just reading a column the other day, though. There's a lot of players underperforming in baseball right now. I mean, Sandy Alcantara with the Miami Marlins is supposed to be one of the top pitchers of the year. Alex Manoa is like one in seven with the Blue Jays. Right. There's a bunch of hitters who are just not getting it done right now. But still, um, their standards are supposed to be here. When you are considered a superstar or a star player, their standards are higher than other people. And when you're, and when you're hitting as bad as everybody else, and it, was, it looks worse for you, you know? Um, you know, Buck, now I hope his ribs are okay. I've covered people who have been hitting the ribs and suffered broken ribs with pitches. So I can understand what he might be dealing with. Um, Correa and his plantar fasciitis, this is my prayer, my next column for Sunday. Um, first of all, Correa should not be batting second or third. Correa should be down in fifth or sixth. Uh, he needs to be dropped in the order and and challenged with hitting his way back up to the to the top of the order. The times that Kirilov is bad at third 
you've seen professionalism and good at bats come to that spot in the order, which is an important spot. I think Correa has lost the right to bat in the first inning for a while. He has to earn it. You know, so I'm, I'm all for dropping him. And plantar fasciitis is something that should not be messed with because I've had it and I've covered athletes who have had it. And the best way for, to heal it is to stay off the foot. Yeah, that's it's a it's an overuse injury in which the tendons in the bottom of the foot become inflamed, and you really feel it in the morning when you, when you get out of bed and put your foot on the floor. Um, yeah, once your foot gets heated up a little bit, it's better. It's okay, but for it to truly get better, you got to stay off of it. So this the stuff about he reaggravated the plantar fasciitis. Like I'm not buying that. It was already there. It yeah. didn't have a chance to go away, and it's going to be problematic going forward if the twins and Correa think that they can. That is something he could play with because history says here with Wally Zerbiak, Randy Moss, uh, Everson Griffin had it, um, Kevin Williams had it, and and Shannon Stewart had it and missed 50 games uh, because of Planner. So um, stay off of it, give him some more orthotics to soften the blow, and and do what's right for Craig because it's just going to affect the season. Yeah, it is. Last thing on the Twins, quick. All this is happening while they're still in first place. Like they can't, they can't shake first place. Doesn't matter what they do. <laughs> Seems like they're always three or four games up in this terrible division. Um, but all this is happening also while Luisa Rise is flirting with four hundred. He entered uh, entered Tuesday at three ninety nine. Just just to be extra, like just to twist twist the knife a little bit more. I I plugged his season stats into the twin season stats, just batting average wise. If he was if he was doing what he's doing right now and he was still on the Twins, just just adding what he's done to what their season totals are right now, he would lift their team batting average 15 points from 233 to 248. They would go from basically bottom third of the league to basically middle of the pack if he was still on this team hitting-wise. I'm not saying it was a bad trade. They had their reasons to do it. Pablo Lopez, I think, is going to be a good pitcher for them for a long time, but that is the reality that they're dealing with with the rise right now. He's been so good this year. Absolutely. He has been good. And you know what? It'll be a great story for baseball if they have a guy make a run at 400. That would just be a lot of fun to watch. And it'll be interesting to see how Luis puts up with it. I'll tell you what, I've talked to guys. You know, I covered George Brett like his last year with the Royals. And I've had talks with Brett since then. He, he, he has talked about the year he had a chance to win uh, uh hit 400. I think he batted 390 that year. He did. Yeah. And he, and he said, if I had, if I had another chance at it, I would definitely hit 400. You know, what's the toughest part, the media interest, having to talk to the media every day about every at bat and every swing and every pitch selection, you know, it got to me during that year. If I had another shot, I would bleeping hit 400, <laughs> you know? So um, I'm sure Rod Carew would probably have something to say about uh that as well. Yeah, because um, he, he hit 388 one year, right? He was he yes, was flirting he with it. And, yes, he did. And Tony Gwynn, he that was it the the year that got wiped out, he hit like 394, but he was flirting with it for a while there too. I've heard Tony talk about that that period too. He he wanted he was salivating over the uh, over the opportunity to make a run of 400, you know, because he didn't mind talking to the media. You know, right. he would have thrived in that situation. So that would have been really, really interesting. Um, I love the fact that you you plugged in Arise's stats to uh, the Twins' plight here. I'm checking one thing. Arias right now is a 2.8 WAR player. Yes, which is ridiculous. That would put him. Uh, he's on pace for like an eight WAR season. Yes, which is huge for a guy who's not contributing a lot with the with the glove because he's not no. a big glove guy. You know, 2.8 WAR would he would be number one on the twins ahead of Sonny Gray, who's at 2.6 and Joe Ryan, who's 2.1. In fact, 
God, Ryan Jeffers is a top position player in war at 1.2. So that's how much of a gap there would be if Arias was having that type of production while with the Twins. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, you know, it's it's the it's the it's the regret. They knew that this could happen. I mean, he won a batting title here last year. It's not a mystery that he's a good hitter. Right. He's a really good hitter, but obviously there are concerns about a guy that's not a great fielder, doesn't really have a natural position and could wind up with injury problems of his own. So that we'll still we'll still judge this trade two or three years from now. But right now, 399 would look pretty good in this lineup. Um the, the best thing that could happen out of this is that they have the twins and the and uh Arias fans have Tarzan Tarzan versus Flash Gordon arguments for the next three, four years. Yes. Yes, that that's true too. That's true too. Yep. Um I want to get you on a couple more things before we go. One NBA finals Jimmy Butler has now played in like 70 some playoff games since he left the Wolves. The Wolves, I think, have played in like, I don't know, like 12 or 15 since he left. It's it's a it's a pretty big it's a pretty big gap. Um, Lavelle, what do you what do you make of what the Heat are doing? Because I, th- I think it's pretty impressive. I think just the we got to stop thinking about them, I think, as a number eight seed because they're probably better than that. They've had so many injuries along the way. But you just don't usually see this in the NBA where an eight seed can can do this. And it's just a, it's an amazing story. They've already taken down obviously a lot of the best teams in the East. And now they took the game off of Denver in Denver and they're kind of in the driver's seat going into game three Wednesday. Yeah, this is pretty massive. Uh, I expected the Nuggets to win this game and win this series in five games. I did too. I did not, I did not see game two coming. Um, I'm still baffled that they didn't that the Malone didn't call a timeout late in the fourth quarter to make sure that Jokic touches the ball uh, during that final Yes. Uh, uh, attempt to score. But um, the thing is, this is that Miami had multiple runs in that game where, you know, the Nuggets had no answers. And that is a game changing game in that series, series changing game in it, uh, because series changing game, because now Spolstra is, is looming here as a yes. specter over the shoulder of Malone is I could come up with a way to beat you guys. Now I beat you on your, on your own home court. And that means that anything's possible now. So um, this is just, I believe this is just the second time an eight seed has made the finals. I believe the Knicks were the other eight seed. I think that's right. Yeah. And, and made the finals and they lost uh, in the, in the uh, lost in the championship series. Um, this one could be different and it's going to be uh, come down to the will of, uh, of one Jimmy buckets to, uh, you know, carry the heat, you know, to the top here. I just be re- such a remarkable thing. And Spolstra does not get enough appreciation no. for what he does and how he's a man, great man manager, a great tactician, and has been able to win without a star-laden roster. He's he's won both ways. He's won when he had LeBron, D. Wade, and Bosch. Yeah. And, and now he's winning with, you know, Jimmy Butler is a high-quality player, you know. Um, is he a super superstar? I don't know, but you know, with him, it is attitude and it's determination that th- th- there's intangibles with him that, you know, make him a force in these situations. And somehow the team feeds off of it. I'm still baffled as why the Wolves could not feed off of Jimmy when Jimmy was here. I, yeah. I don't get that. It's one. It's going to want to be one of life's great mysteries as to how Jimmy came here and didn't, was unable to get the team to a level he uh, would deem acceptable yeah. and decided to bail and get traded and go somewhere else instead of trying to stick it out, work with it. He had Tibbs as his coach. Tibbs yep. was going to let Jimmy do whatever he wanted. Yeah. And it still didn't work out here. No. It's baffling. 
it is baffling and it really it changed the course of this franchise and i think if butler was still here i don't think there's any doubt that they would have been more successful over the last five years they would not have anthony edwards so you know it's a little bit of revisionist history there that their ceiling for the future might be different but the fact that they that they that that's how the, that is how the course went that they paid wiggins that butler wanted to get paid that he was upset by you know kind of a lot of things and that that didn't work out that was they will regret that for a long time, even if he was um, as a personality type, more or less of a tornado than anything else. Um, Lavelle, this happened right before we started recording the, this golf merger. I'm, I'm, if I'm shaking my head, imagine what PGA players are thinking right now. Some of them who seem blindsided by this kind of merger, essentially between the PGA and you know stuff uh, overseas, and of course the the Live Golf Tour. I don't know exactly what this is going to look like, but a lot of guys left this tour for a lot of money and some of them stayed. And there's been a lot of things said between then and now in the last couple of years. I don't know how they, I don't know how this kind of comes back together in a, in a harmonious way, but they're going to try. I know this is kind of like, I don't know if they could kumbaya this one, you know, because of the things which said in the division. And it was like, you guys are traitors. You should be ostracized. Yeah. You know, you, you, you know, you should, you should, you should just be stuck in this live Island for the rest of your careers and never come back. You know, um, Roy McIlroy and Tiger at the head of the head of the charge here, galvanizing the PGA players and it's us versus them. Yeah. You know, we could be better, but we don't need them type of uh, situation. But now live in the PGA tour, have come to some sort of agreement and it sounds like the lives going to make an investment here. Yeah. So I, I want to know how this is going to go down. I, you know, there's more I need to read on it and I apologize to the listeners if I'm speaking ahead of getting more information, but just on the surface, it live is, is dumping some money into this venture. Um, all this complaints about uh, the, um, the Soviet, uh, the Saudi investment would have fund and yeah. how it's dirty money and bad money. Well, you know, I grew up in Chicago and there's a lot of things that have been built in this country that have been built because of bad money. <laughs> uh, as, as I was telling Rand before we started taping, I believe the trolley system here in, in, in the Twin Cities was was run by the mafia, I think, for a while. I don't know how many years it was. Um, there's bad money everywhere. There's nothing wrong with taking bad money and doing good things with it. And now that, that's the song that the PGA Tour is going to have to sing if they're going to go into cahoots yeah. with the LIV golf going for yeah, I don't know. I think we. I think there's a lot to come in the coming days. This is. It just seems like it came out of nowhere. Like it sounded like the live tour was, you know, struggling to a certain degree, and you know, some of the players were like, "Just let this collapse. Let make these make these players go back. Why are they investing and partnering with them now?" But I think it. Probably I wasn't comes watching down, any of them. I wasn't come, watching any of those tournaments. It comes down to money. It, it, they're probably yeah. it, this must be a lot of money that they're going to be getting from this. A lot of this backing, but how they. How they kind of present the message on this, I don't, I don't know because it's been, it's been such an acrimonious, weird last couple of years for golf. Kind of fun to a certain degree if you like the drama, but not, you know, I don't know if it's been great for golf, and I don't know how they, how they kind of come back from it now. And here's a, here's a crazy thing about this: as, as much acrimony as there is between the two groups of people, the PGA golfers have to admit that because of the existence of LIV. Their pockets have gotten fatter because of it, because it right. forced Monaghan and the PGA Tour to beef up the prize money in some of these t- tournaments. So it, it, it's actually forced change for in a good way for them uh, in, in terms of what they can earn. You know, you got some and, and it also forced them to make commitments to play in X amount of tournaments. Uh, yeah, I mean, Roy McIlroy got like fine three million because he couldn't 
live up to his obligation, right. you know? So, I mean, this has been, it's been good for both leagues in some weird, strange way. Uh, so I, I don't know if there's going to have to be a big meeting where they kind of sit around a campfire and, and, and pull out the hookah and try to work it all out. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I'm very do. curious to see how this is going to move forward with this relationship. Well, maybe Max Kepler can take up golf and join this unified tour because I feel like his days with the twins are numbered. I'm springing it full circle. <laughs> I like how you did that there. Yeah, I, it's man. As I can say, I like the guy. I he's, yeah. he's been a solid citizen in the clubhouse. He's a good man. Um, but you know, you can only you can only tolerate things for so long. And his his OPS since 2019 is under 700. Under 700. Yeah, you, you, you can only. If, if, eventually you have to get off that horse if it's just if it's headed to the glue factory he's a he's a very average player to have been given more than 3500 career plate appearances with the same team well Lavelle, appreciate it as always uh let's talk again soon thanks for having me postscript to that conversation with Lavelle byron buxton goes on the injured list um before tuesday's game still can't shake off that 97 mile per hour fastball to the ribs can't say I would like the feeling of that either. Um, that's retroactive to a few days ago, so hopefully it's not too terribly long before Buxton is back, but that's a blow to a team that is already struggling on offense. Um, shut out again by Tampa Bay, 7 nothing. Twins just 31-30 this season. I know they're a first-place team. If they were in the American League East, they would be trailing by like 13 games to Tampa Bay. This would not be a first-place team, but now it would be a... Pretty, pretty close to a last-place team in that division. So outclassed by the Rays, just like most teams have been this season. I don't think it's a narrative that they can't beat good teams. They've beaten plenty of good teams this year. The Yankees, the Astros, good examples of that. So I don't think that's the narrative, but definitely not in the same league on Tuesday, and that's that's concerning going forward. And uh, I guess the final piece of this that we got to watch, Luis Arias, like, like Lavella and I talked about, he is now up to 401 after two more hits on um, on Tuesday. We're going to be watching that. I think this is the latest someone's been at 401 for a while now. The latest they've been over 400, I mean, in a while now. Former twin, of course, batting champ last year. I don't think he's going to keep it up like this, but, man, even if he hits like 350 this season, there's going to be questions. There's going to be questions as long as he is hitting well. That's a lot of negativity on this show. Let's finish with the cooler. Minnesota Aurora has a home game tonight. Uh, those games are all out at the Vikings practice facility, out at TCO Performance Center in Egan, out at the stadium there. They have outscored opponents 20 to nothing so far this season. Obviously have not taken a loss along the way. Another hugely successful season for Aurora. Another home game Wednesday night. Get out and check that out. If you want something good, you want to see a team that is dominant and is a good story and is doing it the right way, go check out Aurora on Wednesday night. 20 to nothing this season for the women's soccer team. That will do it for me today. Like I said, Bobby Marks from ESPN should be joining me on Thursday's show and expecting to have Bobby Nightingale. It's Bobby Week on Star Tribune uh, Daily Delivery. Bobby Nightingale, the new Star Tribune uh, Twins beat writer, joining Phil Miller on that beat just recently. Want to have him on to talk about his experience, um, just kind of get to know him a little better, and a little bit about the Twins, um, what he's learned already. So that should be Friday's show. Until then, enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. I'm Michael Rand. We'll see you later.